As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hey, it's Wendy. And it's Jess, and you're listening to the Food Heaven Podcast, your online resource for delicious and nutritious living. Jessica here, and today you are listening to another episode of the Food Heaven Podcast, and I am super excited because we have a very special guest on today, Danielle Capolino, who is a registered dietitian and also the author of the new book, Healthy Gut, Flat Stomach. So Danielle's an RD based in New York City, and she provides nutritional counseling on digestive health, focusing primarily on a low FODMAPS diet for people who have irritable bowel syndrome, also known as IBS. Danielle is a graduate of the Massachusetts Institute of Technology and the John Hopkins School of Public Health. Welcome, Danielle. Thank you so much for having me, Jessica. I'm happy to be on with you. So I just want to first start out by getting a little bit more background on you as an RD. So can you tell us a little bit more about yourself, your background, and kind of what you do as a dietitian? Absolutely. So as you said, I'm in New York and I have a private practice. So I work with patients um, both locally and also virtually to help coach them through dealing with digestive symptoms through diet. When I went back to school to study nutrition, I started to learn a lot about digest. Uh, I'm not even going to say digestive health. I'm going to say the microbiome, which is um, for the listeners who don't haven't heard that term before. It means the collection of bacteria, uh, and most of the bacteria is good bacteria and does a lot of things for our health. And we can talk more about that. But it came to my attention early on uh, through a microbiology professor in one of those prerequisite um, RD classes uh, that it was so integral to our health to really understand the role of bacteria and. As I continued on with my studies, I knew that I wanted to look at, you know, where does food go when you break it down? It's, it, it goes to your gut. It's really at the core of everything. And as I continued my studies at Hopkins and worked, um, I worked with a gastroenterologist named Dr. Gerard Mullen at Johns Hopkins, and I learned probably my first day with him about the low FODMAP diet and I saw how he was prescribing it to his patients and asking them to work with a dietitian and he just thought it was so important that I I knew it was just like a natural progression. I knew as soon as I finished that, that this is what I was going to do. 
Wow, that's so interesting. And I can totally relate because, yes, as a dietitian, we're kind of like science nerds. And when you start learning about the gut and how important it is and just like how it affects literally everything, it's really exciting to kind of learn about and be able to help people who are suffering from like digestive issues. But just on that topic of like digestive issues, can you, for people who don't know, talk about what exactly is IBS? So IBS, and as you said, irritable bowel syndrome, it's sort of a catch-all term. Uh, And the way that it's diagnosed is really through exclusion. There's different classifications of IBS. You can have IBS um, C, C for constipation, uh, D for diarrhea. You can have a mixed form. And then some people also have a pain-predominant Uh, form of the condition but basically they're starting to have some blood tests but not widely available so at this point it's really unfortunately patients are put through extreme measures often to get to this diagnosis often with after having colonoscopies and ruling out lots of other conditions they're left with this and it's 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 really a descriptive term so you could have the symptoms of IBS but really be in a very different situation from person to person. Uh, it's a, and the other thing is that it's extremely common. So depending on what source you look at, it's one in five to one in ten people in this country are suffering from IBS. So it's a huge, huge kind of unspoken, you know, who wants to talk about? <laughs> Even I don't want to, you know, be on a podcast <laughs> using the words constipation and diarrhea. It's not sexy, but... Um, it's super, super common. So how, I know you talked about it's kind of people might have a colonoscopy or an upper endoscopy. Um, so just in terms of how it's diagnosed, so it literally is just, you basically don't have anything else and therefore you have these set of symptoms. So you're diagnosed with IBS. Yes, exactly. So you don't have anything else and you do have a specific set of symptoms. So it's an organization it's called the Rome Criteria. The the uh, doctors who came up with the criteria met at a conference and meet in Rome, and you have to meet a certain criteria of having symptoms. Um, you know, X number of days for three months. So okay, interesting. And okay, so let's talk about FODMAPs. I know some people may have heard of it before. Some people not as much. It's a really um, big word. (laughs) So can you kind of give us a breakdown for the regular person? Like what is FODMAPs and what does it have to do with IBS and gut health? So FODMAP, even what it stands for, which I'll just say really quickly, um, it stands for fermentable oligosaccharides, disaccharides, monosaccharides, and polyols. So it's not... It's not even very helpful for the average person to hear what that means because, you know, you're a dietitian. What's an oligosaccharide? Like, no one knows what these things mean. So, and the other thing is that none of these foods, they're not similar to one another. So they don't, these foods don't necessarily look alike or taste alike or smell alike. There's no really way to identify them as being FODMAPs other than kind of looking at a list of foods. So... What do they have in common? They have in common the F part, that they're fermentable. And what that means is that bacteria like to eat them. And so when we go back to what I was mentioning, this, the fact that we have all this bacteria that live inside of us, which is normal and healthy, 
for some people, when they eat FODMAPs, which are, for the large part, actually healthy foods, uh, the bacteria also like, we like to eat them, the bacteria like to eat them. And when the bacteria eat them, they produce a byproduct, just like we do, and they produce gas. So that can result in us having distended, bloated, uncomfortable stomachs, and the other um, symptoms that go along with IBS. Are there any common myths or misconceptions when it comes to GI health? I think there, there are, I'm sure there are plenty of myths and misconceptions. I'll, I'll say this. I think that, you know, someone else asked me this earlier today, what did doctors do before the low FODMAP diet? Or what were they telling patients to do? And, you know, we're lucky now if doctors will tell people to try the low FODMAP diet. And, you know, at, at most, I think that a doctor will give you a handout and maybe a business card, but people are kind of left on their own. But even before, this is, it's a relatively new diet. So before this, a lot of doctors were asking their patients to eat high fiber diets to deal with the symptoms of IBS, whether, you know, whichever form of IBS it is. And for some people, you know, the first line of treatment, it is reasonable to increase your fiber to try to deal with digestive symptoms. But for some people who have very sensitive digestive tracts, it's going to make your symptoms worse. So I think, you know, a misconception is that a lot of fiber is good for everyone. That's not true. Some people need less fiber. And another thing is that that you can't have any fiber on a low fat diet. That's another misconception because it is still important to have some forms of fiber um, and you can get low fiber, low, <laughs> low fiber FODMAPs too. Okay. So then when it comes to FODMAPs, are there any foods that are definitely high FODMAPs that people should most likely be avoiding if they're having IBS symptoms? Well, the way that I kind of explain uh, the diet to people is that it's really three phases. So in the first phase, for the most part, and this is what I explain in my book, and you know it's more customized when I work individually with someone, um, but for most people what we do is take out all of the different categories of FODMAPs all at once for at least two weeks to see if the symptoms will subside. And so that's an elimination diet, and we take out all the high FODMAP foods. I don't think it'll be super helpful to list every single food because there's so many, but I'll highlight a few of the top foods for for you now, Um, some of them which are surprising. For example, apples. Um, Apples are a food that really are very common in causing digestive symptoms with not only my patients, but just people tell me. When they hear what I do, oh, I eat apples and give me a stomach ache. Yes. Can I just say, I eat, I used to eat an apple every single day for like years. And then as I'm like, you know, learning more about FODMAPs, because I do have patients who have IBS and I think I have like some IBS tendencies, I would just be like bloated because I eat an apple kind of like it couple hours before bed I'd be bloated every single night it would hurt and finally I was like wait a minute this is super high FODMAPs like let me just try taking this out and honestly it's helped so much and it sucks because I love apples but I've switched to like you know different lower FODMAPs fruits as like snacks but anyways go ahead (laughs) I know I know I I mean I feel the same way I love apples but I know I'll pay the price so Apples, pears, and mango. I mean, definitely try them in and let me know if you um, experience 
you know, other people having problems with these foods too. Um, those fruits also wheat, and we can talk more about wheat versus gluten, but wheat, uh, onions and garlic are very, very common ones, beans and artificial sweeteners. Those would be like my top classification of absolute highest FODMAP foods. Also, actually one more, which is, yeah, one more, which is inulin. Uh, which is an additive that's added to foods. Um, typically, when they're called high fiber, they'll have something like inulin added to it. Wow, oh, that just sucks because it's like so many delicious foods that I know a lot of people with IBS, I'm sure that they love just as much as the rest of us. Um, but so how do people kind of get started? So you said they do the two-week elimination diet and see if symptoms improve. At least two weeks. And then what happens after that? Well, I mean, to go to your, your point about, oh, it, that it's unfortunate that people can't eat these foods, I agree with you. But my goal with people is always that they should have the most varied diet possible. So even though I named those foods and even though on the list of foods for the elimination diet, there's so many more than what I just said. And it looks like a lot. It's it's temporary. So it like the low FODMAP diet, actually, I think is not a great name, not only because of the word but also because of the word diet, because when you say diet, it conjures up weight loss. And listen, it's possible you could use this as a, a weight loss tool in certain situations, but that's not what it is. This is not a weight loss plan. It's a tool to help you identify the foods that are bothering you. So after you've undergone this elimination process, I guide you through a testing process so that you literally go back and test your tolerance to specific foods that only have one FODMAP at a time so that we can identify and say, oh, you're sensitive to fructose or you're sensitive to lactose, which are categories of FODMAP. Through that process, you can, once you identify what works for you and what doesn't work for you, you can add foods back in eventually. So you might find that, you know, you you are lactose intolerant, but you're okay with wheat. Or you can't eat onions, but you can eat apples. You know, you might, you, the diet doesn't look the same for everyone. Like you and I could both be following this low FODMAP diet, but eat completely different foods. Mm, okay, so then what are some of the biggest challenges for people who are kind of following or getting started with this FODMAPs, low FODMAPs diet? And then what are some things that you kind of um, recommend for them to prevent or circumvent some of these roadblocks? Okay, so a common roadblock for this diet, I think, is people looking at a list of foods that are high FODMAP and freaking out. So... What I try in the book to make this diet really approachable, as easy as possible, as not intimidating as possible, um, but, you know, it can be daunting to think of cutting out all these foods. So I do offer an alternative plan in the book and in my practice, and I call it in the book, when an elimination diet is too much to bear. So, you know, an alternate plan could be eliminating one category of maps at a time. So that's a possibility. Another common problem that I have with this diet is that when I said the elimination phase is at least two weeks, um, I would like to clarify and say on average like two to four weeks, sometimes people need to go six weeks, but I get phone calls from people frequently who say to me, I've been on this diet for six months, what do I do? And I strongly advise that people not to stay on this diet for the long term. 
there's really no need to. The whole idea of it is, again, to use it as a tool to identify. And if you're, if you're staying on this elimination plan indefinitely, you're not really using the diet for that purpose. Um, so that you know, a lot of these foods are healthy. You know, high fructose corn syrup is is a fodmap. That's not healthy, but I mean, you don't need that in your diet. But a lot of these foods are healthy, so um, you don't want to exclude them if you don't have to. And also for social reasons, you know, it can be isolating and difficult to avoid large numbers of foods. So those are two big things. One is you can do it, and the other is you don't need to stay on it. Those are some common roadblocks. Right. That's really good to, that's really good to know because I know too, I have patients with IBS and I'll recommend a low FODMAPs diet and I have the same reaction like, oh my God, like this is insane. And my struggle is getting people to even stick to trying it for two weeks just because they're super busy or it's overwhelming or it's too many foods. So it's good to hear that you people who feel like they don't have time, they can kind of um, scale back and maybe like do elimination with one group at a time or one category at a time and then kind of go from there. And also good to hear that, yeah, this isn't a diet they should be on forever. It's just something to kind of almost like to be a detective and figure out like, give the body a little bit of a rest and then kind of when you reintroduce figure out what exactly was giving causing you the symptoms or issues so that those are really good points yeah exactly and some, sometimes and I'll say this especially to you as a dietitian um, sometimes I work with people and you can get a sense of the person uh, and their personality and maybe the first thing you do is not to give them a list of all of the high FODMAP foods because maybe that is too jarring and overwhelming. And instead, you go over their diet with them and you look at see what they actually are eating. So one thing is if you're the patient's not eating a lot of high FODMAP foods, then this diet's not good for them because it's not going to work. You're only going to have symptoms from these foods if you're eating them. <laughs> so, you know, if your diet doesn't include onions and garlic and apples and wheat and all the honey and milk and beans, then cutting them out won't help. Um, but you also might find that a person's diet only has one or two FODMAPs. You know, they might not be having a lot of foods, but they might be having a lot of lactose. You know, they might be having a glass of milk every night. And in that case, instead of overwhelming them with looking at this whole list of things that they can and can't eat, and you can just say, okay, well, let's look and see, the, identify the high FODMAP foods, so take that glass of milk and switch it for almond milk instead. Right. One thing that I loved about the book was how you had kind of those um, mini case studies in there, so it was nice to see, like, the patients who you've seen in your office and kind of where they started and what kind of tweaks you made within their diet. And some of them, yeah, like you said, it, I remember that guy who, I forget, he was, I think it was like a lot of dairy or something like that in the morning for breakfast. And then he made like a few tweaks and hit all of his symptoms like completely disappeared. So like those are just such exciting um, testimonial kind of stories to hear um, from, you know, you working with different patients. So my question is like, the majority of the time, people who do have IBS and they do do this low FODMAPs diet, do you find that it's helpful for most people? I 
I do. You know, I wish I had statistics from my practice. Um, the statistics from the research, the clinical trials, are that up to 75% of people find relief of symptoms from this diet. There are other studies that show 50%. Even 50% is very good compared to the medications that are available. So um, I would say that I would, I would approximate that I'm, I'm seeing results similar to the research using this diet. Yes, I have a lot of people who really feel like their life has changed for the better. So it's very rewarding work as well. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I know with GI stuff, it can also just because, you know, it's feeling bloated. It's just not fun to always feel bloated. And then like for me, it gives me anxiety. So just being able to kind of like, I know that's like something that, yeah, a lot of people who I see too, if you can help them with their GI issues, it's like they're so grateful for it. Now, just for people who do have GI issues, what are some specific action steps that they can take today to kind of help their tummies. We talked about some things, but if you were just going to leave people with like three tips for, you know, IBS, what would you say? I would say some general steps that anyone can take. And maybe if someone's not ready to try a low FODMAP diet is a first step. And I do offer on my website also, you can sign up and I offer a free five-day course to digestive health. And it's not low FODMAP. It's just some general tips for everyone. Um, one that's really overlooked, and I'm guilty of this myself, is staying hydrated. Super important to drink water, um, even if it's not water, drinking tea or drinking foods that have, um, you know, high water content. It's overlooked. If you're constipated in particular, staying hydrated is really important. I think taking out artificial sweeteners is really important. Um, It can be like one easy thing that's sort of a subset of low FODMAP diet, especially artificial sweeteners that end in the letters OL, like sorbitol, xylitol, erythritol. Uh, Yes, I know that it means that you're, you're eating foods that have a lower sugar content, but these foods can be major triggers of digestive discomfort. So anything that says sugar-free on the front, I would avoid if you are suffering from digestive symptoms. And then I would say take a look at the list of low FODMAP foods. If you're, you know, if you have the luxury of working with a dietitian, you know, ask them about it. And if not, check out a list and see if there's a food or two that kind of jump out at you as being food that you eat really frequently. And maybe just try to experiment with taking those out or switching them for another type of food temporarily. Those are all very great tips and I think they'll be helpful for a lot of people. One other question that I have is probiotics. Do you typically recommend, that's like one place for me that I always kind of start. Do you recommend those? Do you have any like brands that you typically um, have found success with? You know, I'm not gonna say that I've have a particular brand in mind I I will say that personally and I've talked to other professionals who for some reason and maybe you feel this way um, I believe in probiotics I'll take probiotics periodically and I eat a lot of fermented foods that have natural you know naturally occurring probiotics in them um, but I kind of rotate around in terms of what I'll take And it's not necessarily with any, like, rhyme or reason. Unfortunately, I just feel like the research is not strong enough 
in most cases, to be able to recommend a particular probiotic for a particular condition. There are a few exceptions to that, but by and large, I think that's the case today, and hopefully, and I really believe that will change. But for example, uh, like VSL number three is is good for inflammatory bowel disease. So there's there's some, there's some exceptions to that, but I do believe in probiotics. Now, for some people, I work with a lot of people who are diagnosed with SIBO, which is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, and for those people, probiotics can actually make them feel even more bloated and uncomfortable. So, there's, you know, there's a lot of debate in that area, but for those people, I actually don't recommend probiotics, but it is definitely, like, a very, it's a safe thing that people can, can try, and that I'm a fan of if you're suffering from, you know, mild discomfort. And I would try, I would try, like, um, brands that you find in stores, in pharmacies, major stores, because um, at least they are, they've been tested more rigorously. Right, exactly. Is there someone, is there one that you like in particular? Well, there's different ones I like. I've been doing the Now 10, and it's been really great um, for helping with regular bowel movements. <laughs> and I, I think that we all probably have different, you know, flora in our gut. So, well, one thing may work well for one person, another probiotic. You know what I mean? Like it may not work well for you because I've tried some where it made me, like you said, more bloated and like more constipated. So I think it's just finding uh, one that works for you. And if you want a place to start, um, maybe trying something that has like more than one strain in it kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a reasonable recommendation. And I... Um... I really, my dream, my dream is that one day we're going to be able to customize what probiotics the individual needs. Oh, yes. I know. Yes. That's, oh, can't wait till that day. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. So my last question is, where can people find you? Like if somebody wants to work with you or or they want to buy your book, which I highly recommend. And it's also, it's also good because it has... Um, recipes and she also has like kind of a plan for vegetarian so I know a lot of times people like the thing with FODMAPs is they just get so overwhelmed so to be able to have like healthy recipes and kind of meal plans and know that as a vegetarian you can do it I highly recommend this book so where can people find you and your book so you can find me online on my website which is www.daniellecapolino.com it's C-A-P-A-L-I-N-O. Um, I'm on social media as well, on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter under my name. And my book, again, it's called Healthy Gut, Flat Stomach. And it's available on Amazon and wherever uh, wherever you buy books, hopefully. <laughs> it's at Barnes & Noble. And if it's not at your local bookstore, you can ask them for it. Yes. Thank you so, so, so much for being a guest on our podcast. You are awesome. And I learned a lot and I know people um, appreciated hearing from an expert. Um, So it was great talking to you. Thanks again, Danielle. Thank you for having me.
You can find Danielle in her book also on our website. We'll put a link to her book and her website there as well, foodheavenmadeeasy.com. If you like this episode, make sure to rate us and review us on iTunes or Stitcher and even send to a friend or family member who you think would benefit from hearing about this low FODMAPS diet for IBS. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time. Bye.